This is January 23rd for the official recording for the Bridges class as we're continuing with a brief cursory study on the Ten Commandments. One of them that we're going to look at today is the biggie. What do you think the biggie is? <laughs> uh, you know, they're all big. You know, we having no other gods before us, but there's one of these that seems to be yeah, big. <laughs> Which one do you think it is? You know, that's good, but this one might even be a little bit more accessible, you know, uh, for lack of a better term. Yeah, that's another good That's a good one, too. But it's not the one you want. No. <laughs> the big A. And there's one other one that goes with it. Who wants to take a crack at it? Now, you know, we're running out of things to compare. You know, eventually we'll get to the last one, and I won't even be able to ask you that because <laughs> there'll only be two left. Uh, which one do you think would go with adultery, just for the sake of our study? And stealing? Coveting. coveting? We already did coveting, but that's good. Yes, stealing. Actually, if, if I have time and if I remember, it's amazing how many of these other commandments are connected to this one that we're going to look at today. Yes, no steal. You thought it was no steak? No. <laughs> this is not a vegan Sunday school class. This is <laughs> not, not for vegetarians. Well, there's no verbal clutter here. You know, we should pray. We should always pray. Father, Lord, give us ears to hear and a receptive heart. Lord, give us a, a heart with ears that we could hear what you clearly command us to do and not to do. And we ask this, Lord, that we can stand before you and hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, there's no verbal clutter here. Verse 14, thou shalt not commit adultery. Verse 15, thou shalt not steal. Uh, the reason why adultery is such a big bad thing is because marriage is such a beautiful sacred thing that should not be abused. And uh, I've thought about this. I'm going to tell you something. I'm not looking for, for attention, but... Sometimes I literally am awakened in the middle of the night as I'm preparing for these uh, messages. And I just think about, you know, how can I explain this? I pray that the Lord would help me to reveal what's in his heart. And ironically, I always do way better at 2 or 3 in the morning when I'm preaching to myself than it actually comes out with here. So that's, it's always been like that. But uh, this is a, uh, a mortar and a pestle. Uh, it's not a crucible. A crucible technically is a melting pot. But as I was thinking, how can I explain the, uh, not only the badness of adultery, but the sanctity of marriage? I thought, well, this, this might be good. And to do this, we have a couple of aspirin. No pun intended. It does not mean that marriage necessarily requires aspirin, but it can. 
But will you, this man, take this woman? Yes, you do. Will you, this woman, take this man? And then what we have is this, uh, for lack of a better terminology, this marriage. <laughs> it's not meant to be funny, but it's, uh, sometimes marriage can be kind of a grind. But in all the things that marriage takes in, these two become one. Now, you've heard that. And, and uh, you know, my wife and I, when we were getting married, there was a, a woman who uh, did not have a Christian uh, background. She didn't have a Christian way of thinking. And, and my wife had mentioned to her, well, you know, we're going to be married and, and we're going to be one. And this woman, without any Christian frame of thinking, she said, one what? <laughs> Which is really a good question. You know, I mean, if, if you're not raised in church, what does that mean? These two shall be one. <laughs> and she was uh, the type that would just get in her face and say, one what? And I don't even know how my wife answered that question, but uh, I'm not even sure how I can answer. But uh, what I got for this illustration is that these two that we started with become one. And the two individual aspirin that we put in here after the process of marriage, and we're not going to be graphic about everything, but there, there's an intimacy. I don't have to be too. Everybody knows what I got here. I got a handful of powder, okay? <laughs> that used to be two, two aspirin, which is kind of to uh, uh, symbolize what happens when two become one. Now here's the thing. There was two aspirin. It became one. It would be very difficult to separate these two hunks of powder and separate and say, well, this was one aspirin and this was the other one. And the reason why I'm saying that is because when we're married, we do become one. And there's a, a, a sanctity and a, and a, a purity, a God-ordained sacredness that uh, we're not supposed to mess up. And that's why he tells us, do not commit adultery. And uh, even to go further than that, we know that everything that is in these Ten Commandments, aside from the Sabbath, they are intensified, they're amplified in the New Testament, and we know what Jesus said about adultery. He said, uh, you know, Moses said, don't do it, but I say to you, don't even think about it. You know, if you look and you think you're already guilty, and that makes us all feel horrible because uh, we're guilty of that. So you have a marriage, okay? And these two are one. The reason why adultery is so bad, here's, here's the, uh, the other uh, person. Could be a man, could be a woman. You got your marriage, and you get them involved, and well, there goes my illustration. <laughs> anyway, okay, so we had two. Now we got three. How are you going to separate them? Now, I know this is a. This is just a, a, a partial illustration here. It, it, it may not be the best, but as I was laying awake one night and I was thinking, you know, when adultery happens, something happens in that marriage that is really hard to undo. Now, it doesn't mean that forgiveness cannot be magnanimous and we can, you know, trust in the Lord, but really it's the only thing that the Lord said, well, that's kind of an out. You don't have to stay together because of all the physical and physiological ramifications that go along with that violation. And we're not going to be too graphic here, but you know, 
what we're talking about. And it's, it's, it's just the way it is, that, that, that physical intimacy that is reserved for holy matrimony, when it's violated and somebody else enters into that, I mean, nowadays, it's like Russian roulette. I mean, you know, there's, there's uh, STDs. You know, we all know what they are, sexually transmitted diseases. You know, we're not talking about something that happens just when you're flirting across the room. But, you know, when that gets more intense and before you know it, there's that thing that takes place, it's, uh, it's bad. And it's bad because of what it does to the marriage. And uh, even if the marriage comes apart after that, those three are still somewhat intimately intertwined somehow. Like I said, this may not be the best illustration. I'm just, I'm just looking for something. This is not something that I'm pulling out of a storehouse of illustrations that I had. I, I, this is really something I just came up with. And whether it's good or not, I hope that it's uh, at least graphic enough. It kept me up in the middle of the night, so I hope it was, it was, it was worth that. So it's clear enough. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. This is the Apostle Paul in his own version of amplification. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. I wonder why he classified those two, but he did. And uh, Jesus said, uh, on top of what Moses said, Moses said, don't do it. Jesus said, don't even think about it. So, Adultery is so bad because marriage is so sacred and it's such a pure thing. Now, here's the thing about uh, uh, the Bible. The Bible, man, it is clear. It is graphic. It is R-rated in some places. There are stories in the Bible that we have to be careful the way we would explain them to a, a junior high class in Sunday school because some of it's pretty... It's pretty graphic, but the Bible tells us the truth. And uh, our kids need to be told. They need to be warned about this. You know, here's just an interesting side note about uh, adultery. When the Lord God Almighty initiated uh, marriage at the creation of man and woman, he blessed it as a means of fulfilling all the earth, and he said, don't be committing adultery. Of all the sacrifices that we find in the law of Moses, there was not a sacrifice for adultery. You know why? Because every man would be in the ranching business and every man would have a flock of sheep and a herd of goats just to handle that one thing. <laughs> That's the fact of the business. We'd all be in the ranching business. We'd read the law, you commit adultery, you gotta sacrifice two goats and a sheep. No problem. Call my sheep herder. Bring me a couple of sheep, a couple of doves. I blew it again. Boom. Sacrifice them, kill them, go all over you. But there wasn't a sacrifice. And that's, uh, actually it was punishable by death. So it's a, it, it's a serious thing. And of course, <laughs> there's men here that know. <laughs> Maybe your wife will kill you. <laughs> you know, it, so <laughs> punishable by death could, could uh, just don't do it. Now, uh, <laughs> avoid all the problems that would come with that. So of all the R-rated stories that uh, Scripture tells, why is it that, Ho well, we already know, but I'm asking this rhetorical question. Hollywood only wants the salacious, filthy, lustful stories. They make movies about David and Bathsheba. Everybody knows about that. Hollywood makes them. They make movies about Samson and Delilah. I don't think Hollywood's ever made a movie about Joseph and Potiphar's wife because it's a story that stands for righteousness and purity and resisting temptation, the things that we 
in a place like this would say, man, that's, that's what I want to be. That's how I want it to go for me. And it can, but it won't go that way unless you make it go that way. And it's, it certainly wasn't something easy that, that, uh, that, that Joseph went through. I think it was Peter who said, uh, the devil, like a roaring lion, is uh, pacing back to and fro, seeing who he can devour. And uh, as in Joseph's case, it's not always a lion. In his case, it was a cougar. So we just don't know exactly how that uh, temptation is going to come. But Joseph did the only sensible thing to resist. He didn't stay there and start quoting verses and saying, well, you know, he did ask one of the great rhetorical questions, you know, as she's propositioning him over and over again. And he said, how can I do this wickedness? You know, your husband's put everything into my care, except you. And uh, how can I do this wickedness? How can I sin against God? That's really the attitude that we ought to have. If we have an attitude like that, where we're afraid to offend and go against what God clearly commands, that's, that's, that's it's best for us. It'll make our life much easier, much less stained with the fallout and the horrible things. So not only does the Bible tell us that story, but it also tells us about uh, David and Bathsheba. Everybody knows that story. And, uh, you know, all of the intricate uh, uh, details and subplots that are going on inside that story, it, it would take a, a whole semester of Sunday school classes like this just to get into all of what David did and, and, and all of what happened. You know, when I said that adultery could be an occasion for breaking all these other commandments, first of all, if you make up your mind you're going to commit adultery, it doesn't just happen accidentally, like, whoops, <laughs> how'd that happen? No, it takes time. The temptation has a time to brew, to fester. There's usually this, this give and take that's going on. And then before you know it, you know, you have to make plans. And first of all, you're breaking the first commandment. No other God. You break any of these commandments, you're guilty of this one too. So nobody breaks just one commandment. You break any of these others and you do this. I think adultery, out of all these, not only is it violating the stealing, because you could be stealing someone else's wife, not only is it bearing false witness, you're probably lying about it. <laughs> there was some coveting involved. You coveted that other person, whoever it is. And in David's case, he didn't even stop at murder. So this was here. I'm sure it would disappoint your parents. Nobody's going to commit adultery and your folks are going to say, you know, I'm proud of you, Ron. Good for you, boy. You got away with it. <laughs> you know, you, you could do it on a Sunday, right? <laughs> People could commit adultery. And, you know, the only time they get to do it. And then what do you do right in the middle of it? Somebody takes the Lord's name in vain. I mean, there's all kinds of just horrible scenarios of what can happen. And once you get into it, it's really hard to stop. So, uh, you know, if, if, if I could convey to you, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar, I'll tell you, Hebrew scared me. I thought I was going to die when I did six hours of Hebrew over ten weeks of summer school. I'd never recommend anybody doing that. But I remember reading these Ten Commandments. And there's no doubt about it, God means business. It scared me. It shook me to the core of my being. I read, not shalt thou commit adultery. Not! I mean that strong Hebrew negation. And it's the first word in the sentence. There's no doubt about it. God means business. He's not saying, you know, you might not, you know. But everything is so minimized and watered down in our world and our culture today. We go back to the word of God and there's no verbal clutter. And the Lord really, really means business. So we know the rest of the story about David. We know the salacious part. You know, his guys are out fighting and uh, Bathsheba is taking a bath next door and... Uh, 
David's a guy. He's a king. You know, you know, going back into the imperial mindset of a king 3,000 years ago, David could have anything he wanted, and he proved it. But what started to happen after that? She got pregnant. David said, uh-oh, i got to do something about this. Her husband, Uriah the Hittite, a good man's out fighting. He calls for him, comes back, Uriah, take a break. Go in there. Go see Bathsheba. Have a good time. Uriah, such a man of character, wouldn't do it. Then what does David do? Then he really starts to sweat. He invites him for dinner the next day, gets him loaded, gets him drunk. Uriah still wouldn't go in to his wife. I heard Chuck Swindoll say <laughs> not too long ago, he's preaching on this. He said, Uriah was a better man drunk than King David was sober. And that's, that's a horrible, damning indictment, but he was. But it just goes to show the snowballing tendency of how once you do this, I, you, then you're covering your tracks and all these other commandments are falling. You're, you're, you're lying about it and, and everything else. We, we already discovered that. So we know this comes to a head when Nathan the prophet shows up after David's trying this. Yes, sir. Yes. Okay. Nathan the prophet shows up and uh, tells him a story. And uh, it's interesting how he phrases this. He's, he's talking to David, who's a shepherd. He has a shepherd's heart. And he tells him a story about a guy who had this one little precious ewe sheep, and, and this other sheep herder had all kinds of sheep. And uh, this fa fascinating uh, uh, Hebrew idiom here. This, uh, he describes a traveler, which is the... Uh, uh, the giveaway of the, the roving temptation that comes and uh, has an attraction and you see something and you lust and the next thing you know you're plotting how you can do it. And that's exactly what happened with David. But the way Nathan the prophet uh, poses this story to David and, and, and David, you know, he, he, you know he, he hears the whole story. We know this. We, we don't have time to go through the whole thing. But uh, we get to these three Hebrew words and you have to pardon my Hebrew. But Nathan stuck his finger in David's face after. David said, this man shall die! And Nathan said, ha, he, fa. Like I said, pardon my Hebrew. That may not be exactly the right pronunciation, but it was three terse syllables. Ha, you, the man. And David being the man after God's own heart. <laughs> That's why we have the 51st Psalm. Oh, God, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. But he already blew it. And it's in the Word of God. And we know that it's there. So we have stories like this. And of course, we, you know, we can get into Samson and what happened. You know, get her for me. <laughs> she pleases me well. That's, that's it. men. Men are stupid. Men, men just are, are, are like, like dogs, okay? I don't want to put down men completely. I mean, you know, Potiphar's wife, she wasn't the great character, you know, that we uh, could adore here. But uh, marriages are tough, okay? And uh, all kinds of uh, pressures and uh, uh, intense situations come into the marriage union. And, uh, you know, between a husband and a wife, nobody can hurt a wife like a husband. Nobody can hurt a husband like a wife because we know each other. And we know our sore points. And, and uh, it's, it's, it's just a, a, a very touchy thing. No one could hurt me if she wanted to. Like my wife, I could hurt her. And, and God forbid, we don't want to do that because of the fallout and, and everything else that happens. And, you know... People get tense and uptight and they get mad and they lose their temper. And 
I heard about this one guy. He had a beautiful wife, but she was not so smart. You know, she made a lot of dumb decisions. And finally, he got so fed up with her, and he said, I don't know how God could make you so beautiful and so stupid at the same time. <laughs> Let me tell you, don't ever say that, okay? <laughs> and his wife said, well, he, he made me beautiful so that you would marry me, and he made me stupid so that I would marry you. <laughs> so, <laughs> but that's how God can make a woman so beautiful and so stupid at the same time. And we don't always know that it's going to come back on you like that, but it sure came back on that guy who will remain, uh, remain unnamed, whoever he is. So uh, this is a lifelong struggle. It's, it, it's different for men and women. But in this sin of adultery, we see this domino effect and, and how likely we are to commit other transgressions as we just one fall, another one, the first commandment, everything else. You know, the one I didn't mention was, uh, you know, graven images, idolatry. How often have we heard when a guy, a stupid guy, is just all head over heels over some woman and people will describe this relationship and say, oh, he just idolizes her. And, and, and that's, that's a very likely, you know, scenario, I mean. And uh, it's only because he doesn't know her. You know, she's interested in him just because she didn't know him. You know, see, husbands and wives, we know each other. We're real. We're people. You know, but that, that, that delusion, that delusional adulterous potential thing, oh, oh, she makes me feel, that's eh, because you don't know each other. That's all. And, and, and the, uh, it's, it's an illusion. It's a delusion. And, and the Lord is trying to keep us from worse things happening. And, uh, you know, the Bible tells us how God hates divorce. And sometimes divorce is a result of this adulterous affair in this situation. It's not that God hates people that are divorced. He loves the people so much he hates what divorce does to those people that he loves. And divorce is hard. It's messy. And, and it's, you know, what it does to kids and everything else, God hates it because he loves us. And that's just something that we have to remember. Now, uh, last week, Tom, I, I got something else I was going uh, to, uh, because you asked last week when I said uh, the, the nature of sin, it'll cost you more than you want to pay. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. It'll take you further than you want to go. And I got one more to add to this. It makes promises that it cannot deliver. And that's the thing about an adulterous delusion. We think, well, once I get this, I'll be satisfied. And you won't be. The man won't be satisfied. The woman won't be satisfied. You live with the guilt. And God forbid, if you don't live with the guilt, then you really got problems. You know, David was raked over the coals. You could tell by after he was confronted and Nathan stuck his finger in his face and he wrote the 51st Psalm. Oh, create in me a clean heart, oh God. He knew how filthy he was. <laughs> Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. <laughs> you know, you can do whatever you want about your, you know, your, you know, her preconceived doctrines that we have. It scares me when David was praying, Lord, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. It's a, it's a dangerous thing for us to trifle and to take lightly God's clear commandments. And for us, when I say us, I'm talking about every one of us here and in churches like this, we'll be held more accountable because we've been given so much more. You know, there's a lot of stupid people out there. They have, they have no knowledge of Scripture. They're doing stupid things. They don't know. We know better. How dare us ever violate the clear commandments of God that we know. And if you've ever experienced the conviction of the Holy Spirit, oh, how horrible it makes you feel. It's one of the most precious things that you've got. 
the Lord ever stops dealing with you and you can sin and there's no conviction, there's no remorse, there's none, you know, you know, none of that horrible, oh, I'm so filthy. I, that's actually a good thing. The Lord's telling us something. Hey, I'm letting you know. Yeah, you did something bad. You blew it. But I want you to feel this bad because I don't want you to do it again. And just like he told that woman, remember Jesus when he came across that woman, he said, go and sin no more. That's the worst thing come unto you. And there are worse things that could happen. You know, these sins, they just keep on snowballing and they just keep getting worse and worse. So, our hearts are desperately wicked. Uh, we don't know how bad they are. And uh, You know, there's another thing about the way the world, and, and I'm, I'm contrasting the clear commandments of God with how the world waters it down and minimizes these clear commandments. It's almost as if, well, it's not almost, it's, the world actually glorifies sin. They minimize any after effects. They totally ignore them, but they magnify that intense, pleasurable thrill, and they just forget about everything else. And the Bible tells us, like Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. And there are uh, uh, ramifications. Actually, there's a, a couple of verses here that I do need to mention. And... Uh, Solomon, <laughs> boy, if anybody knew problems with women, you know, Solomon, 700 wives, 300 concubines. Uh, no wonder he kind of went partially nuts. I mean, it's, it just is, nobody can handle that. It's, it's, it's it, too much for anybody. And Solomon's known for these pithy, wise proverbs. And he warns us a lot about the strange woman. Here's, here's one verse from Proverbs chapter 9, verses 17 and 18, where Solomon says, quote, Bread eaten in secret is sweet but the dead are there. Her guests are in the depths of hell. You know, I remember reading that when I was in high school, and it got me. I wasn't totally committed to the Lord yet, but it kept me away from the strange women during my 10 years of prodigal insanity. I had a lot of chances to do that, but uh, that word of God, thank God for my Christian parents and the word of God, <laughs> it kept me from who knows what. Just that one little verse, that her doorway, the doorway of the harlot is the entryway into hell. That scares me. Still does. Then there's another verse that he mentions here, just showing this is the natural fallout of sin. This is in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 17. Bread of deceit is sweet to a man, but afterwards his mouth shall be filled with gravel. Brother dentist, dental surgeon, that can't be good. <laughs> is gravel good for your periodontal condition? I mean, is it, does it do anything good for your enamel on your teeth? Gravel in your mouth! That's, a, that's a, a, another Hebrew idiom. I mean, you know, it doesn't mean after you commit adultery you have gravel. You'd probably wish you had gravel in your mouth compared to some of the stuff you have to deal with. Once that sin is committed, the thrill is gone, and all you have is the remorse and the fallout and the ripple effect that goes on and on and on. You know, there's something else I forgot to mention. David's adulterous situation that he couldn't get Uriah to, you know, undo, or, you know, he, he tried to get Uriah to go into his wife so that the pregnancy that was already a known fact would be linked to Uriah. That didn't work, so then what does David do? He has Uriah killed, cold-blooded, premeditated, murder one, if there ever was. And this man, Uriah, was such a sterling character, he gave him the death warrant to carry to Joab. 
And boy, you know, you know, I'm telling you, there's so many subplots and things going on. Could you imagine? And, and Joab wasn't the best Sterling character either. He got that. He knew. Oh, man, do I have the goods on David now. He did it. He had Uriah killed. But all of these things that are going on, I'm telling you, it just snowballs. It gets worse and worse just because of that traveler, that little thing that uh, David, uh, the king who was used to having whatever he wanted, and he saw uh, Bathsheba uh, taking a bath, and he just gets worse and worse, and he ends up with, with gravel in his mouth. A horrible, a horrible thing. What I wanted to mention was... Uh, you may know, or you may remember, that uh, David ended up marrying Bathsheba. And she had another baby. And that baby was Solomon. Now, uh, what's interesting about this, you know, when, when, when people get involved with things, people in the neighborhood know what's going on. And, uh, you know, uh, yeah, the first baby died, but it was the second baby, Solomon, who survived. I wonder what Solomon grew up with, you know. People know stuff. They hear stuff. Hey, Solomon, <laughs> we know about your old lady skinny dipping and the king and everything else. And, you know, they, imagine what kind of ribbing and, 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 and jading he, he, he must have got. Uh, I don't know if he was as mean as the boy named Sue, but, you know, he, uh, he still had some problems having to live that down. It's, it, it's just an, uh, another one of those things that we don't want our kids to, and, and of course we know that David had all kinds of family complications in his life because of his loose situations like this, of this one that is uh, mainly uh, magnified so much. But the thing is, in our uh, culture, adultery, not only is it minimized, it's almost glorified. Every TV show, every movie, because sex sells. And this is what people want to see. This our desperately wicked hearts. You know, one of the cardinal doctrines of our faith, the total depravity of man. <laughs> Nobody has to be convinced of that. Look at us. We know it. You know, the question that Jeremiah said, the heart of man is desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's a great rhetorical question. Who even knows how bad we are? But we are. We know that we are that bad. And uh, the world is always minimizing it, and it makes the adulterous stuff that even people know about to be almost a sophisticated kind of benefit that certain rich people get to enjoy. Uh, if you've ever watched a documentary on the life of uh, William Randolph Hearst, all right, he was like the Jeff Bezos, the Bill Gates of 100 years ago, okay? Had a, anything he wanted and eventually any woman that he wanted and he was known to have had a mistress and everybody knew about it. And uh, even when you watch these documentaries, it's almost as if people just stand back and say, well, he's rich, he can have anything he wants, but it uh, doesn't please the Lord. And just because he is rich and he can have anything he wants, and people consider it to be, oh, such a sophisticated thing. Uh, the Kennedys, you might have heard, you know, there might have been some rumors about the Kennedys. Actually, Joe Kennedy, the father of JFK and RFK, uh, I can't even tell you what I heard word for word on a documentary, but he pretty much told his boys, go for it. And it was uh, not a good thing. Oh, I'm so thankful that I had a godly father that told me what not to do and what not to be involved with rather than a father that said, as much as you could get away with, just get away. But that's actually with Joe Kennedy. So when Joe Kennedy had a mistress, everybody knew about that. 
eh, people just looked the other way. Jackie Onassis, who later became Jackie Onassis, she probably looked the other way. She knew that, you know, her husband was a little bit loose like that. Nelson Rockefeller. You remember our vice president, Nelson Rockefeller? We're all old enough here to remember. You know how he died? He died in bed with his mistress. And uh, what a way to go. Man, that scares me. You know, <laughs> you know and just to show how stupid and dull people are, people say, well, at least he died doing what he loved. Well, I, I don't want to die when I'm doing something I love. I don't want to die when I'm snowboarding <laughs> up at 12,000 feet. If I'm going to drop dead, let, let me drop dead during an IRS audit. <laughs> That's when I want to drop dead. <laughs> Them guys raking me over the coals and going over my paperwork. Ah! <laughs> That's when I want to drop dead. I don't want to drop dead when I'm... <laughs> you know, but people always say that. You know, well, at least he, he died doing what he loved. That's not the way to go. <laughs> the way to go is when you're having an audit or something. That's, that's definitely a way to go. Or, you know, you just get pulled over for speeding and, you know, uh, well, it, it's going to happen sooner or later. So, you know, Nelson Rockefeller and, uh, you know, now, right, in our recent memory, Jeffrey Epstein, you know, the sexual perversion and looseness, and it just keeps on going. We don't even know where that's at. We don't even know how deep that is yet. But we know they get younger, and that lust, here's the deal. Lust is never satisfied. That's why I mentioned these seven deadly sins. So many of these, lust, envy, greed, gluttony, anger, pride, so many of these correspond, even with that one adulterous thing. We know lust's involved. We know envy's involved. We know greed's involved. Pride's involved. <laughs> anger, <laughs> that comes later. <laughs> Sloth, we're too lazy. All of these things, so many of these have, and by the way, before we're finished with this, probably on the last Sunday, I'm going to give you a mnemonic device if you care to remember the seven deadly sins. I'm going to give you something that I think you'll always remember them and you'll never forget it. And I find it very hard to memorize things, but I did a series on this a couple of years ago and I was just trying, how can I wrap my head around it? And I'll share that with you later. So, the whole idea of... Uh, the mistress, the mystique of the mistress. And uh, she's almost made to be this, this nameless, faceless person. But everybody knows what's going on. And it's a, uh, uh, I even looked up the etymology of the word. And it's a, a, a fascinating background of, uh, it actually used to mean a wife. Uh, long ago. I mean, <laughs> we wouldn't say that now. <laughs> I'm not going to say, well, <laughs> my mistress is here with me this morning of <laughs> 44 years. <laughs> Still my mistress. No, no we know. It, it means something totally different. And uh, really all it is is just a means to satisfy an inordinate lust and uh, all a mistress is, well, we know what it is, but it's just what you find in between the mister and the mattress. That's it. Mistress. Good way to remember it. Not a very glorified position. It's a cheapened position. Uh, not being in touch with, uh, by the, I don't have a feminine side, but not being in touch with the feminine side, even if I have one, I don't know what a woman feels. But I'm sure some of you women can say, what if you were used just for that? And, and you know, you, you don't get the benefits of the marriage, the honor, and you're just that cheap thing on the side. It's, it's a Certainly not something that the Lord ever would want us to lower ourselves to. So, uh, well, we're almost out of time, and we do need to mention stealing, because stealing can be uh, mentioned, uh, uh, don't do it. Don't steal anything, okay?
And uh, we should mention one verse, Malachi 3 and 5. It has to do with stealing. And, uh, boy, maybe you're glad we just have a couple of minutes left. People get very uncomfortable when we start to talk about money, especially when we start to talk about the tithe and how not honoring the Lord with that tithe is called in the book of Malachi, uh, thievery. Will a man rob God? That's a rhetorical question. Malachi 3 and 8, we all know it. Uh, they, they, they jump back, where have we robbed you? In tithes and in offerings, it just happens. Uh, don't do it. And for one final illustration, see this dot and this line? This dot right here is your life. Not much. And you know, most of us don't have much of that dot left. I mean, come on, let's, let's be real about it. We have Every one of us here has more history behind us than we have future ahead of us. So our little dot is, <laughs> looks like a partial eclipse of the moon. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's not much left there. We started off with a dot, but we don't have much of a dot left. This dot represents our whole life. This line represents eternity. And it keeps going. It crosses over our parking lot. It goes over 281. And it keeps going. And don't try to wrap your head around it because... Your little rubber band can't handle it. We can't, we cannot, we're not wired to comprehend eternity. But it keeps going until it goes all the way around 25,000 miles of the circumference of the earth and comes back and keeps on going. And what we do in this dot determines what type of eternal situation we have. And it's, it's, it's startling how we can be so stupid and short-minded when it comes to giving and honoring God that impinges on our eternal state just to have some extra little creature comfort in this little speck, this little minuscule, heartbeat, vapor-like existence. So here's the deal. We're almost out of time. Just remember this one thing. You know, it's very common that even godly people will keep all of what we have more than maybe what we should have, and uh, we'll give a will, and after we dead, then the church is going to get so much. Let me just make a recommendation to you, all right? Do your giving while you're living, so you're knowing where it's going. You really don't know what's going to happen after you're dead. I mean, you could do it. And now, I do have one quote from C.S. Lewis, and, and he, he's always good. And uh, he's talking about unchastity and the filthy uh, culture that we have. He says, there are people who want to, this is a quote from C.S. Lewis. This is out of his wife's book, Joy Davidman, the wife of C.S. Lewis. And she's writing on adultery. This is not an exegetical commentary. It's a very high literary, very unique piece of literature. He says, there are people who want to keep our sex instinct inflamed in order to make money out of us. Because, of course, a man with an obsession is a man who has very little sales resistance. Isn't that true? You ever notice why they put these beautiful women on a car commercial? What does it have to do with the new Toyota pickup? Men are stupid. And we'll see that woman and say, well, I'm going to buy that truck because then maybe someone like that is going to want me. And it, it, it just, it's, it's, you know, it's, I already know that's not going to happen. We know that's not going to happen. You know, C.S. Lewis is, is, is a guy, whenever we read his quotes, and I know Ron Skates can identify with this. You know, we, we, we hear this, those of us who preach, and we want to communicate truth, and we hear him say something. We say, man, I wish I could have said something like that. And uh, 
Just one final thing as we're closing. This, this, this reminds, C.S. Lewis, his quotes, he reminds me of these, uh, these two Indian tribes that are out in the Nevada desert. Two small, nondescript Indian tribes and they're sending smoke signals one to another. <laughs> send up a little puff of smoke. The other guy down a pasture, send up a little puff of smoke. And they didn't know that the Air Force was doing a bomb test on the other <laughs> side of the mountains. And they're sending up these little puffs of smoke and all of a sudden, <laughs> this big mushroom cloud goes over the guy said, man, I wish I said that. <laughs> and that's, that's, that, that's these quotes of C.S. Lewis. You know, we hear him say, so C.S. Lewis said one other thing, and, 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 and it has to do with adultery, and I promise you, I'm, I'm closing, I'm still closing. But C.S. Lewis said, just imagine if we went to a theater and the curtains are closed and everybody's all waiting to see what the show's going to be, all of a sudden you start hearing this sizzling of a steak on a barbecue pit and you can smell the fat hitting the fire and all of a sudden the curtains open up and there's this juicy nice filet on these hot coals and the smoke is going up and it smells so good and, you can, and the people start going, woo! And they start going crazy. C.S. Lewis said, wouldn't you think that our appetites have gotten a little bit out of whack over a piece of meat? And yet he said, that's exactly what happens with burlesque shows and other things. We're taking something that is a mere physiological desire that God put in us and we just let it go haywire and it just goes to out of whack, God forbid. The Lord wants something better for us than to be driven by those things. Did you have a comment? Yes, there can be. It is a gift. Yes. Yes, it can be. Yes, even though Jesus said we can be divorced, he didn't say you had to be divorced. We could be magnanimous, we can forgive. Actually, that would take a whole other Sunday school lesson. Right now, we just want to talk about the bad stuff. <laughs> we want to make sure that there's some fear in your heart that you say, I, 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 I don't want to do what, what God clearly told me not to do. Heavenly Father, Lord, help us to take your word serious and never to make light of the clear commandments, Lord, that you give us for our own good. Father, help us to live for your glory in everything we do, from how we live to how we give, and that we would honor you, Lord, and prepare for the line and not just live for whatever little bit of the dot we have left. In Jesus' name we pray. Pray for your guidance, Lord. Let your conviction Lay upon us heavy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.